Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through these truths and concepts with. If you don't have community like that, we would love to invite you to be a part of Restore. You can get all the information about our church at restoreaustin.org. We would love to see you soon at one of our Sunday gatherings, and we hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Creation has been a core part of our faith since the very beginning. We have this creative God who created us, and he made us, humanity, creative beings as well. I don't know about you, but during quarantine life at my house, we've done a lot of creating and crafting and and making things. Uh, Actually, our Restore Kids team, as you saw from Sonia's video earlier, has been doing an incredible job of providing families with bags of crafts, and my kiddos have absolutely loved them. We've also done some kind of creative projects on our own, and here is one of our favorites, I brought it with me, that gets used almost every day. If you can see it all that well, but it's kind of like a, a, a caboodle. If you remember caboodles, if you were a girl that grew up in the 90s, um, or boy, sometimes, you know, use caboodles too. This is for Judah. You can see his name is on there and all of his awesome stickers. It's got pirate stuff and swords and fish and all kinds of things. And basically, it just opens up. You can see here. And it's got jewels inside of it is what he calls these. So um, Judah's watching right now. Judah, I'm taking good care of your jewels. They're in safe hands with me. I promise I'm not using them as some kind of bartering system or giving them away or anything. He's got some really big, cool ones that he's found in the yard, some other things um, in here. Um, that's a beer bottle cap. Not really sure how that got in there, um, but it's, uh, it's in there. Um, I don't, I, Judah wasn't the one that drank that. I'm like 99% sure. Um, but anyway, he, he made this. He and Amy made this together. She made one for Major. She actually made one for uh, the two boys that are neighbors of ours next door. And they use these all the time. They've created these things, and they absolutely love them. Now, obviously, nothing is as good as the creation that we see all around us, right, that, that God made. But I love that we just heard Ben read from Psalm 104, and he said, the Lord takes pleasure in all he created because that's exactly what we do. When we create something, we take pleasure in it. We hold it closely. We care for it. This box of jewels is is one of Judah's prized possessions because he got to be a part of, of making it, of creating it, of helping it come alive. We take great pleasure in the things we create, and we get upset if they get broken. I believe that's exactly how God feels about his creation. He loves our world dearly, and it breaks his heart to watch the way that we are hurting right now. We're in week three of this series we're calling Unchanging, and this series is all about God's enduring, unchanging character. And today we're actually going to explore a characteristic that you may not have heard of. Most aspects of of God's character are discussed pretty openly, pretty frequently in both kind of spiritual and secular spaces, but this one, it flies under the radar a little bit. This morning we're talking about God's omnificence, his unlimited power of creation. Now, this isn't just an uncommon character trait. It's actually an uncommon English word. In fact, when you type it out, it gets a little red squiggly line under it, like Microsoft Word or Pages or whatever doesn't even recognize that it's a word. So why is this core characteristic of God so often overlooked? Well, I think it's because 
we think of God creating as something long past, right? After all, it's the very first characteristic of God mentioned in the scriptures. It's quite literally the opening line of our Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice, even the language there is in the past tense. God created way back in the beginning. See, Christians believe that, that God created everything. Some believe that God used evolution, some don't. Some believe the earth is 6,000 years old. Some believe it's 4.5 billion years old. No one knows exactly how he did it or when he did it, but a core Christian belief since the very beginning of the church has been that God created everything. But created is in the past. Yes, it was amazing. Yes, it was awe-inspiring. Yes, he just spoke and the world came into being, but it's over now. It's in the past. But what if I told you it's not actually over? What if I told you that God is still busy creating every single day? You see, I believe that God's omnificence, this often overlooked characteristic, is actually the one that we need to hear about most right now. Because you don't have to look very far around you to see that we are in desperate need of some recreation some restoration. Lately, our world has been marked by chaos and brokenness and death. Chaos, brokenness, and death. I picked those descriptors on purpose because they are not an unfamiliar condition in which God likes to work, in which he likes to intervene and bring creation and recreation and restoration. You see, scripture teaches that this is what the world was like when he did his most famous creating, Back in Genesis 1, look at verse 2 with me. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This was the state of the world when God began his creative work. Now that ocean imagery is really important. You see, ancient civilizations like the one that this was written in, the deep waters were like the most dangerous thing they could imagine. It represented chaos and brokenness, and death. And the scripture teaches that out of all of that, God creates the world. He enters into it, and he brings order out of chaos. He brings wholeness out of brokenness, and he brings death out of life. How did he do it? Verse three says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good when our world was engulfed in darkness, marked by chaos and brokenness and death, God unleashed his light and he looked and he said, it is good. Can you think of another time that God unleashed his light on a dark world? We talked about it last Sunday, actually, from John chapter one. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. That capital W word is Jesus that John's talking about here. It's a nickname that he has. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life to everything that was created. And listen, his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the word Jesus became human and made his home with us. God himself puts on flesh to come down and bring light into our dark world. This light put on skin 
and made his home with us. When Matthew, another person that recorded the life of Jesus, announces his birth, he says the very same thing. Matthew 4, 16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a new light has dawned. Even Jesus, he affirms these words spoken about him and his purpose over and over and over again during his time on earth. John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. God is no stranger to bringing light into dark situations. He is in the habit of creating and recreating whenever he encounters chaos and brokenness and death, he brings his light into it. But that last statement we just read from Jesus, it it begs an important question for us because he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what happens when Jesus is no longer in the world? Well, Jesus actually told us right before his death and resurrection, Matthew 5, 14, you are a light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. When Jesus leaves earth, he is no longer the light in human form in the flesh as Jesus Christ. He is now the light in us and through us. He says, you are the light of the world and let that light shine before others. The persecutor of Christians turned pastor named Paul dug into this concept a little bit deeper in a letter he wrote to the early church. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as people of light. What does that look like? For the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Scripture teaches very clearly here that when the world gets dark now, God's plan is to shine his light of recreation and restoration through us. We are the light of the world and we are called to let the light of Jesus shine to the world around us. Paul says, live as people of light, which he describes as exposing the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. That word expose in the original Greek that the Bible was written in, it's actually a legal term. It was used when evidence was presented to prove that the defendant was guilty as charged. They were exposed as being guilty. Paul says that we are called to expose the darkness of our world for what it is. That's evil. There's a lot of evil at work in our world today. There's a lot of darkness that needs to be exposed. You see, it's, it's evil to treat someone unfairly because of the color of their skin. It's evil to politicize a pandemic to score partisan points. It's evil to ignore those among us who are so hurting and so broken that they have nowhere to turn for help. It's evil to be more concerned about personal freedom than caring for your neighbors. It's evil to turn a blind eye to places like Yemen and others where thousands are dying in civil war and tens of millions are in need of humanitarian aid just because they don't really look like us or talk like us 
or act like us. As people of light, we are called to expose this darkness for what it is. We are meant to call out these broken things. Now, this isn't news to most of us, right? In fact, I know that many of you are doing just that. I I see you calling out, calling attention to the broken systems and structures in our world and exposing them for the evil that they are. I see it and I applaud it and I am with you. But what happens next? Because it can't just be that we type tweets and that we send Facebook messages and that we leave it there. What happens next? Well, you see, this is where God's omnificence comes in. Our all-powerful God who is constantly creating and recreating and restoring. Because you see, I believe our omnificent God is still creating and recreating right here and right now. He is in the business of finding the parts of our world that are drowning in darkness so that he can unleash his light. Where there is chaos, he brings order. Where there is brokenness, he brings wholeness. And where there is death, he brings life. Let me ask you all a question. I wish you were in the room with me all all around like you used to be so that you could shout it out and I could hear it, but you'll just have to shout it out wherever you're watching. Here's the question. What is it called when God brings life out of death? Let me give you a hint. It's kind of what our entire faith is built around. It's the the cornerstone event of Christianity. What's it called when life comes out of death? Resurrection. Resurrection. You probably already know this, but just in case it's not clear, let me say it directly. Our God is in the business of resurrection, of bringing life where there is death. He's in the business of resurrection. He's in the business of restoration. He's in the business of recreating. He is omnificent. And he has decided to use his church. That's me and that's you to be the ones that he does his resurrection and restoration and recreating through. He has decided to make resurrection, restoration, and recreation a reality here on earth through us. This is so important for us to grab a hold of as his church because over the past few months, right, it's become obvious that the church was never meant to be just a building. It was never even meant to just be a Sunday gathering. The church was always meant to be Followers of Jesus who bring light and love into places that are dark and in despair. I'm going to say that again. The church was always meant to be followers of Jesus who bring light and love into places that are dark and in despair. The church was always meant to be catalysts for God's resurrection, restoration, and recreation. We got to do a little bit of restoration work yesterday as a church family. We got to be some light in the darkness, so to speak, in our drive through serve day. We put together a little video to let you check it out.
I don't know about you, but I felt God's omnificence yesterday, like in a very real, tangible way. Just like he did at the very beginning, I felt him working through us to bring order and wholeness and life where there was chaos, brokenness, and death. I have news for you. This is God's big plan, y'all. He announced it when he put on flesh and made his home among us through Jesus Christ. At the very beginning of Jesus' public life, right after he was baptized by John the Baptist, but before he did any miracles or even started recruiting his disciples, he went to his hometown of Nazareth. And he went there to make an announcement about what exactly he was about to do, about what he was going to spend the next three years of his life accomplishing. Luke's account of Jesus' life records what happened. He, that's Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Then he began to speak to them. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, and everyone and everything else that drudges through the darkness. Jesus came to shine light on them. He came to bring restoration to the brokenness, to to bring recreation to that which has been destroyed, to bring resurrection where death mistakenly thinks it has the final word. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he said. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus made it possible for everything broken to become fixed again. He spent his whole life doing it, and now he calls us, Christians who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do the very same things. Listen, church, this is what that means. That means that you are never more like Jesus than when you are feeding the hungry than when you are giving water to the thirsty, than when you're serving the poor or visiting those in prison or taking care of immigrants or tending to the sick or standing up for black, brown, and indigenous people to be treated with equality. You're never more like Jesus than when you're wearing a mask to stop the spread of a virus that's killing hundreds of thousands of people. You are never more like Jesus than when you're giving bags to people who are experiencing homelessness with food, safety stuff. You are never more like Jesus than when you are stepping out to serve people in need. This is what it looks like to be a Jesus follower who is actively seeing our omnificent God at work in and through them. Like I said, this is God's big plan. Jesus announced it at that little synagogue in Nazareth, and we have just been participating in it ever since. But not only do we get to be a part of it now, 
we get to look forward to the day when God will complete his mission of restoration. And in the ultimate, omnificent act of recreation, he will usher in a new world. The author of Revelation captures this moment at the very end of scripture. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Remember what I said earlier about Genesis 1, right? And it used the sea as this metaphor for chaos and brokenness and death. That same imagery is being used here. There was no longer any sea means that God has finally and forever replaced the chaos with order, the brokenness with wholeness, and the death with life. And this is what it looks like. Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. There it is. The penultimate act of God's omnificent. Jesus returns and he makes all things new. That is our hope, y'all. That is our hope. But we haven't been called to just sit and wait for it. We have been called to be active participants in it. So this week, I want to encourage you to think about how you can actively participate in God's omnificent work in our world. He wants to bring restoration to his world through you. Just let that sink in for a second. He wants to use me and to use you to help fix the brokenness. He wants to move in us and through us to serve those who are most in need in his world. Because like I said at the beginning, when you make something, it's dear to you. It matters to you. You hold it closely. And when you look and you see that that thing that you've created is hurting or it's broken, you'll do anything you can to fix it. That's what God's doing now in his omnificent work of recreation and restoration. He is looking at the thing he created in all of its brokenness and darkness, and he is sending light and hope and love into every corner of it through me and through you. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And because you are a follower of Jesus, stepping in to that omnificent work of God is exactly what we should be doing. Let's pray. God, you are so good. You are so mighty. You are so powerful. You are all-knowing. You are present everywhere at all times. God, you are all-powerful. You are almighty. But you are also all-creative You are always working for the restoration and redemption and resurrection of your creation. 
God, we want to be a part of that. We know that it has been your plan from the very beginning to use us to be a part of that. You told Abraham way back, right, in the Old Testament, you first called him out. You said, I will bless you, not so that you can hoard it for yourselves, not so that you can just sit in the enjoyment of it. I will bless you so that you become a blessing to every single person around you. That's what you were calling humanity to then. That's what you were calling us to now. You've blessed us to be a blessing to the world. You have put your light in us so that we might stand upon a hill filled with your light and shine it into every dark place to expose the darkness for what it is, God, and to bring your light into it. Use us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.